Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 on your AM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And please be sure to follow Joe and I wherever you find us on social media, primarily Facebook and YouTube, but we're on Gab, we're on Rumble, wherever you find us. Click something that's going to help us out. That's all we can ask. And today, uh, we are very pleased and honored to be joined by Deacon Paul Karras and Trisha Dwarica. And we're going to be talking today, and you'll understand in a minute what I mean by this. We're going to be talking about self-sacrificing love. Um, that's what we're called to be as disciples of Christ. And the theme of this is a life saved and a life changed. One Catholic deacon story. I want to give a brief introduction in commemoration of the 20th anniversary of September 11th. The Frontline with Joe and Joe are bringing you this very special story. And Deacon Paul and Trisha are going to be talking about the events of September 11th, both Paul's actions. And Trisha, correct me if I'm wrong, it's your mom, Judith Toppin, correct? Yes, it's my mom, Judith Toppin. Correct. Judith Toppin. Um, who Deacon Paul assisted down 71 flights of stairs against all odds. So before we get into the conversation, just a little background. Deacon Paul is going to share his experiences. He works, he did work for the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey and was on the 71st floor of the World Trade Center that fateful, uh, fateful morning. And Judith Toppin, a woman whom Paul met for the first time that day, shared a testament of faith in an article entitled Angels walk among us that we believe needs to be shared with our Veritas Catholic Network audience. It's important to note that this story is not an isolated one. It's one of many where civilians helped one another while maintaining an overall calm during the evacuation of those buildings, which we all know collapsed and took the lives of over 3,000 people. So Deacon Paul Karras, Trisha Dwarica, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe. We're happy to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Would you Good be to be so here. kind? Would you be so kind and to lead us in prayer? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us with your gifts so that we may know and understand ourselves better. Make us truly wise and enlighten us to know what is true, to seek what is good, and to do what is right. Let each of us be for others an expression of your love so that together we can make this a better world. Lord, we ask for your blessings upon this discussion we are about to enter into. I ask you to recall the soul of Judith Toppin, my dear friend, and Trisha's mom. And we ask you to bless the Dwarka family and all of those who have lost somebody from 9-11 and are still suffering from the consequences. We ask for the graces and blessings on all of these people in your name. Amen. 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 In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Well, we thought it would be appropriate to begin the conversation uh, in the words of Judith from her essay, Angels Walk Among Us. I'm just going to read a couple of lines, and then I'm going to throw it to Deacon Paul, and basically he could kind of take it from there. And Tricia, please feel free to, you know, jump in at any given time, uh, because the conversation will be guided by the Holy Spirit. There's no question in my mind. So these are the words of your mom. She said this, here I was with a bad heart, bad lungs, swollen, heavy legs, and the speed of a snail at best. I knew that I was going to have, an, have to be exceptionally strong in order to be able to walk all the way down to the street. All I could think of was, God, if this is the way you want me to die, then thy will be done, but please, no pain. It was only then that I looked into the face of a six-foot slender uh, man whom I never met. And what the man said to me was, stay calm and get up. We are going to walk out of this building together. With that, Deacon Paul, please uh, talk a little bit about that moment. I mean, it's very emotional. I'll be honest, I could cry 
as I read that, I mean, I was six blocks away from the Trade Center. I saw the buildings crumble. My building, I was on the 32nd floor on Water Street. I saw the chaos. I mean, it was insane. I mean, if you could just kind of walk us through at that moment, and then we'll just take it from there. As a, as a step, you know, step back, I had worked for the Port Authority for 10 years, and then I left them for five and a half years. And I had just been rehired by them six weeks before 9-11. And I was in a new department. I think I knew maybe two people in the department. And I hadn't even moved some of my boxes into my new cubicle yet. And um, I just got off the phone with my manager, and then there was just this roar of an engine that you just can't be described with an immediate impact on the building. Uh, it took me, took me three days to process the sounds, the timelines of everything that took place. But what I realized is the building tilted and it tilted to a point where you weren't sure if it was gonna keep going. And then it slowly rocked back and forth to come back into place. So immediately I, I got up, I started seeing debris and flames shooting down the window in front of my cubicle. And then a manager came running through the department basically saying, uh, everybody got to, has to leave. Um, while I was out sick in the 92 or 93 bombing, I knew it took place then. And the people who were there knew immediately to leave because there were a lot of new people since that time that had no idea. So they were just sort of hanging around and they all needed to be told to leave. And as I was heading to the exit, I just saw this group of people gathering around who turned to me some, you know, Judith, who was sitting down in a chair. And I, I honestly, I can't tell you why I stopped. I can't tell you what possessed me to say what I said. J Judith recorded it. I, I have very little recall of what I said to her. All I know is the others left and uh, Judith and I started towards the stairwell. Um, I had no idea of her medical con conditions at the time. I just thought I was helping this heavy set woman, you know, get to the stairwell. And uh, once we were on the stairs, we really kind of blocked the whole thing because I had Judith holding on the right handrail with her right hand and I had my arm underneath her left arm. And then to keep her steady, I was holding on to the left handrail, guiding down. And as a result, because people were piling up behind us, we had to stop almost every landing, to let people pass us. And it just took an incredible amount of time. Um, but I think the thing that most people don't appreciate, even though we didn't know what was going on, it was so calm in that stairwell. Everybody was orderly evacuating. Uh, people gave me a mask for Judith. People gave me a bottle of water, uh, you know, if she needed it. And, um, it was just a calm procession down. It got a little hectic, more hectic and crazier as we got to lower floors. Uh, but again, I think most people looking at it from the outside and as I did afterwards on the news, um, it would almost be impossible for people to think everybody could be as calm as they were and helping each other as they were going down those stairs. Again, I'd like to uh, refer back to Judith's words in her essay. She said this, I saw the glimmer of gold on Paul's left hand as we reached over, as he reached over to shield me from people rushing past. It was a wedding band. He was married. I'm sorry. And I, I suspected his he had a family. And I asked him to leave me behind and save himself since he had a family and I was moving moving slow. My words fell on deaf ears and he instructed me to swing my left leg forward and drop my right foot to the next step. He assured me that he would never let me fall. Paul, it seems to me that, she, I mean, everything is lost at that moment. I mean, what was going through your mind? I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, I like, you know, you, you did the right thing. You were helping somebody, but it wasn't working out. 
<laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, like it wasn't working out, you know, she was not moving and it, like, and all hell is breaking loose. What was going through your head? Did you think you were going to make it out? Uh, I never thought like that. Um, my sole focus was getting her down to the next step and then the next step and then the next step. Um, I know that sounds odd, but my, actually my father was a uh, lieutenant in the emergency service unit in NYPD for 34 years. He kind of explained it to me after the fact. He said, sometimes there are people who just, they need an absolute focus to get through a situation like that. And my focus was Judith, getting her down step by step. Um, she started reciting Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, out loud. Uh, and <laughs> at that point, I said to myself, oh, my God, I should be praying too, because <laughs> I wasn't. And I started praying the Lord's Prayer to myself. Um, but that was my focus. Uh, uh, there may be an opportunity somewhere else in this, because uh, it took me about a year later to actually experience and understand that the Holy Spirit was with us, but I didn't at that moment. So you're listening to The Frontline with Joe and Joe, Joe Priscillo and Joe Racinello on the Veritas Catholic Network. We're very proud and honored to be joined by Deacon Paul Karras and Trisha, Trisha Dwarica. Um, and Trisha, we're going to bring you in in a minute. Paul, I have one other question about the uh, events that day. So Judith also wrote, and it's, it's, it's you know, this is obviously very emotional and, and but she wrote a man who was guided by a presence that he could not see, but he could feel as he made all the right decisions at exactly the right times. It had taken us about 90 minutes to descend to safety. And I would later learn that based on the timing, we probably were two of the last people, if not the last to come out of the building before it collapsed. Thank you, Paul. You'll stay in my heart forever. I'm forever grateful. Deacon Paul, Judith believed that you were guided by a presence that you, that you could not see. How did your Catholic faith propel you that day to continue forward? Seriously, no one could be, no one knows what you went through unless they actually experienced something like that. And most of us, let's face it, don't. How, you know, how did your faith propel you that day to continue forward against all odds? Was, like I said, she was my mission. Um, Okay. Again, processing it later on and through the next few months, um, I then, after the fact, appreciated her words of that, that I, we, we were both guided um, because she's right. Every, everywhere we turned, it was adding, ended up going in the right direction to get us out of that building and onto West Street. Um, you know, one of the, the oddities, we get to the, the window wall uh, out, out towards West Street, and then the whole glass is, you know, just shattered. And there's a, a handrail that there's no way I could get her over it. And the doors were all, you couldn't even go through the doors. And to get her under it, and myself, we would have to get down in the glass. And there was a firefighter who took off her jacket, put it on the glass so that she could get down on her knees and get under this handrail so we can get out. Um, but I, that day, it was it was just an to me. Some people would say it's an instinct. I agree with Judith that we we were both just guided um, by the spirit. Uh, I guess I'll jump into it. You know what happened a year later. Um, I was sitting in church alone, and uh, you know how we always have this voice that goes on in our heads. You know we're constantly thinking. But, you know, even when we sleep, our brain's working. I was sitting in a, my church here in Corpus Christi, and there was absolutely nothing. Silence. Not just the outside silence in the church of me being the only one there, but an absolute inner silence. No voice. And then chills came over me because I realized that in the stairwell, I had that same experience. My, there was no voice. There was nothing working in my brain. It was just absolutely emptied. And, you know, the words to the song, you are mine, the hymn, you are mine came, you know, I will come to you in the silence. I will lift you from all your fears. 
and boy, I just sat in that church and cried because that is when I realized how powerful the presence of the Holy Spirit was on that day um, in an absolutely concrete way that outside of putting it in those words, I, I don't know how to convince anybody else it, it, how real it was. Amen, I think brother. the way to best to what Paul is saying actually reminds me of the footprints in the sand when you're being carried by the Holy Spirit and the Lord. I think it can, you know, sometimes you don't even know you're being carried. And when you look back, it's only one footsteps in the sand, but you're yeah. doing what you have to do, pushing it along. So I think it also goes with that saying or analogy or. No, it's know, a perfect analogy. Yes. You, know, you, you don't realize it as it's happening, but when you have the opportunity to look back and that it was, that was triggered by that absolute silence sitting in church because those are the only two times it's ever happened to me. Mm -hmm. Those are the two times you're being carried. I mean, you're being carried <laughs> all the time, but it's right. significant where you actually realize it. it. Yeah. yeah. Trisha, uh, Trisha uh, Dwarka, let, let me bring you in uh, here for a second. So how did uh, the events of that day, how did that affect you as the daughter of a survivor, particularly in light of this, this fascinating story? Well, in light of this amazing story that's beyond fascinating in my book um it's actually very funny i was actually pregnant with my first child which was my daughter and we just moved into this home together that we purchased and that entire day i actually used to work on park place not far from world trade center but i was on maternity beginning to be on maternity leave because it's 9-11, my daughter's born October 1st. That's how close it is. Mm. And that day when it happened, I could not stop dialing my mom's phone number. I know no one was going to answer, but something just kept compelling me that she's there. I couldn't explain it. Like, I just kept dialing and it was busy. And in my head, I'm like, okay, she's going she's gonna to answer just now. And I don't know if that was the Holy Spirit also carrying me because I didn't believe for one second she was gone. You know, like recently as she had just passed, I knew she was gone. But this, that last time, 20 years ago, I had no feeling that she was gone. It was just like, okay, she's going to answer or she's going to come home in a couple of hours. So I don't know if that was the Holy Spirit carrying me because not for a second I said she's gone. So I don't know how to you know, interpret that, but mm -hmm. that entire time I held my stomach and I just kept calling and calling and calling and calling. And then a day later she came home. So. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, I can remember going on the street. Uh, I, I was at 199 water and it was like a flood. Everybody on the street, every building poor, every, every person in every building cops, you had, you know, like, power people, firemen. I've never seen chaos like that before. Like millions of people on the street, confused, crying. Like it was, it was insane is the only words. And I can remember I kept trying to call my parents to tell them that I was okay. And I got my father who was also passed recently, passed in December and he was crying on the phone. He could, he was like, we're being attacked. You know what I mean? Like, like, and, and, you know, he was just like happy. He heard my voice. It was just the craziest thing I've ever lived through. I wasn't even in the buildings. I mean, I was six blocks away, but it was nuts. Trisha, I want to follow up uh, on the last question with you. You're listening to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Rasanello with Deacon Paul Karras and Trisha Dwarica. Trisha, when your mom, you said that you didn't hear from her from a day. Now, a whole day. Uh, that, I dialed her phone number for an entire Day. I'll tell you what, and 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 An thank day. and thank the good Lord because if I was in that position, I would have gone ballistic. Okay, I don't but know if I would have. I don't thing. know if I would have survived the day. <laughs> I mean, I'm see, being quite frank thing. with you. That's the thing. I was calm. I didn't believe she was gone. And it has to. It has to be some evangelical something. I remained calm. I just kept calling. I didn't once cry, once stress, once felt a loss. I felt no loss. When she, go ahead. I felt no loss mm -hmm. when the buildings went down. 
So when she did, um, when she did return home after that, obviously that, that long day, and she returned home to, to you and your family, uh, how was she different? Um, if you could describe that for our audience at the Veritas Catholic Network, how did her faith in the Lord sustain her in, in the, you know, in the subsequent days to this, obviously this, this, this crazy experience? I honestly believe that her faith in the Lord is so powerful. As you can see, I have her rosary right here, hanging up right here. Her faith is so powerful that I don't think for a second it changed. I mean, if you know Judith, she started saying Psalm 23. That's just how she is. Her faith never, ever. And I think that's why she has lasted so long throughout her disease and through 9-11. Her faith, her faith is so, her faith empowers our family sometimes. It's, she's, she always makes everything so calm, so serene, and it makes you, you can climb mountains. And I think that's why a lot of people do what we're doing today is because of her faith. A lot of outcomes and a lot of situations occurred because of her faith. She lasted this long with a debilitating disease this long because of her faith. Mm. I mean, she's such an amazing woman that I wish people could have known her before any of this. Just she's always been at the highest faith. I tell you what, I, mean, I, I don't know anything or I didn't know anything about your mom before Joe told me that, you know, he wanted to do this interview. And I read the letter that she wrote and that's her all the time. It drips with 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 our Catholic faith. I mean, the 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 the, the great the, the gratitude that she had and for everything and for all everyone. remember, you have one party here on 9-11. Who's 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 staying there against all odds? Deacon Paul, you have the other party. Your mom saying, "Go save yourself." You know, I can't believe you're you're you, and and it just working together. And and they made it. And He's they made like it that through. all the time. I remember I would take her out. We'll be in the store, and she'd be like, "I'm gonna go home now." I says, "Why, mom? Why would you want to go home now? Because I'm slowing you down, and it's already been here in an hour, and we only got one thing." I said, so let's get our orange juice and you sit right here or we'll go back in the car and sit down and we're going to do it all over again. And we've done that so many times. So many times she didn't even want to do it because she always felt that she was holding somebody back mm -hmm. or she was letting somebody down. And I used to always tell her, I said, take your time. I'm not, a I'm not in a rush. You take however long you need. You're not holding anybody back. And I said, why don't you have something to drink? We always had water or crackers or something in her bag. And I'll make her sit and she would finish her shopping. And she would, she would always put herself in front of everybody else. Like she told Paul, go ahead. I'm keeping you back. She's always thinking about everybody else. She's never thinking of herself. To be honest with you, not to say anything about me, but the only person who ever thought of my mom was me because she used to always put herself in front of everybody else. I used to always pull her back and say, Ma, this is what we're gonna do today, Ma. We're going out to dinner, Ma. We're going on vacation. You're doing something for you. Even to take her to the doctor's appointment, she didn't ever want me to take her. I used to have to sneak, <laughs> take work off work. I know she told you, Paul. I used to sneak, oh, yeah. stay home work, and surprise <laughs> her. That went on yeah. for years, for years. She was always, a person that was selfless. I just can't explain any further than that. Well, that's she thought about everybody. That's why I'm so glad that we're, we're having this conversation at the front line with Joe and Joe and the Veritas Catholic Network, because that is the theme of the conversation. To we, Joe and I talk all the time on the show. I've said this before, and anybody who listens to us knows, you know, we got big mouths, and we should have big mouths. We should, we should preach the truth. But most of the time, the examples that we need to, to see more than anything, rather than hear from a commentator, okay, are the things you guys are talking about, that, that self-sacrificing love. That's what evangelizes people. That's yes. what brings, that, that, the, yes. the actions yes. of Deacon Paul and the actions of your mom, not just on 9-11, but as you're describing, Tricia, just on an everyday basis, to will the good of the other as other, as Aquinas taught. In other words, that's really what love is. Love gets convoluted in our culture and what love is. What you guys are talking about right now, what Judith did, what Deacon Paul did, okay, that's Christian love. Yes, that's it is. That's what that is. And we, we at this special, we always need to see that, particularly we now. We, we need to see that. Oh, yeah. 
Deacon Paul, we have about five five minutes before the break. Did this impact your calling to become a deacon? At this point in time, you were not. I mean, that's the million dollar question, I guess. Um, and believe it or not, I because uh, I I grew up not too far away from the town uh, that you're serving in right now. I actually heard about you, believe it or not through like the events, you know, through the grapevine and that you became a deacon. That's what, you know, you know, cause I was always in the church. Is that true? Is this what drove you to become a deacon? Uh, we may have to pick this up in the next segment because this is. <laughs> okay. No, of, well, uh, Paul, if you see me go like this, then, 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 you know, uh, then we're coming to a break, but go ahead. I'll, I'll cut you off at the appropriate time and we'll pick it up okay. on the other side. Uh, I wasn't always the best Catholic before 9-11. And I ended up in therapy for about nine months with a Franciscan priest who was a psychologist. And um, we were working through issues. And he was a pain in my neck, but uh, I, I kept saying, I'm never going back. And I, every week I'd go back. And then my pastor, Father Lou Papera, uh, invited me to do a Curcio weekend. Cursillo means short course in Spanish. It's a short course in Christianity. It's a lay movement um, all around the world. And uh, so he invited me to do this weekend. And at the end of the weekend, uh, I, I made a statement that, you know, before 9-11, I was perfectly content with my life. You know, everything, uh, relativism, well, I didn't kill anybody, therefore I'm doing okay. After 9-11, Specifically because of what Judith wrote, I realized something was missing, something was not right. And that's what wound me up in therapy because I had to deal with some rage issues. And uh, at the end of my Curcio, I realized what I was missing was God. Even though I'd been a faithful Catholic all my life, uh, very involved in the church, I never understood having a true relationship with God. And so between 9-11, the events of that day, what Judith wrote more than anything, and then my the, the therapy, and then Curcio, uh, I finally realized that um, I needed a relationship with God. And since 9-11 was the first major act of service, which is what the diaconate is, diaconia means to serve, uh, the Lord started opening up my heart and my mind to areas of service. And it just kind of grew. Being a deacon was never on my mind. It wasn't until about 2005 um, that I even considered it. And it's funny because they actually delayed the program for a year. They were revamping it. And when they had it revamped and were accepting new candidates, that's when I finally felt the call. So the timing was everything. And um, it, but 9-11 was the trigger for sure. It sounds sounds like Providence to me. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Um, just at, just as a, a side note, just to just to ask Paul, um, was, was your anger directed at the events of that day? Was that the source of no. your anger? What the therapy helped me understand. I, I actually had an episode with my teenage daughter. Um, I, she had given me wrong directions to a softball game, and I got lost. I couldn't find her. And when I got in the car. I just blew. And um, she wasn't crying or anything. She was, you know, there were tears in her eyes, but she just looked at me and that her look just stopped me dead in my tracks. It was a look that said, Dad, what's wrong with you? I'm worried about you. And I immediately apologized to her, took her home, went to my church, sitting there alone, crying, asking God what the heck's going on. And um, one of our parish priests came in to close up the church, saw me, came over and said, oh, Paul, how you doing? And I'm wiping tears from my face. And I said, I'm an absolute mess. And at that point, he gave me a referral to this Franciscan priest uh, who, for, like I said, for nine months, I was in therapy. And then for 10 years, he was my spiritual director. And, um, you know, Providence, absolutely. You know, Father Ray walking in on me in the church. It, 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 there's so many things that you can look in the timeline yeah. and say, okay, God, you really strung all of these things together. It's like, it's like you said earlier, like Trisha said earlier, the, the footsteps in the sand, you get, you never know it when it's happening, but when you yeah, look no. back, you say, wow, God's fingerprints are all over that. Listen, all over it. Th this, this is an amazing conversation as Trisha 
use the correct word, an amazing conversation. So we're going to take a quick break. You're with The Frontline with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello, and we're having an amazing conversation with Deacon Paul Karras and Trisha Dwarica. Uh, we're talking about the events of 9-11. We're talking about self-sacrificing love. Please remember to follow us on, uh, Joe and I, on Facebook and YouTube or wherever you find us on social media. And remember to download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, you know about our Veritas shows, right? All five? It starts every Sunday at 5 p.m. with The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Their guests include the biggest names in the Catholic world, and Joe and Joe talk to them from the perspective of the everyday Catholic. Every Wednesday at noon, you can catch Let Me Be Frank. This is your chance to hear Bishop Frank Caggiano talk about spirituality, church news, and fun stories from his Brooklyn childhood and his life. Thursday nights at 8 o'clock. That's when you can hear It's Not That Late with Liv Harrison. It's a late night show on Catholic Radio, and Liv mixes faith with humor, games, and dynamic interviews. There's a double dose of shows on Friday. First, at noon, it's Restless. It's four millennials talking about, well, life as millennials in today's crazy world. Yes, it's possible to be young and Catholic. Then, at 12.30 on Fridays, you can hear the focus on Veritas, where Peter Sonsky puts the focus on good works and the good people doing those works. Those are the five Veritas shows, and there's more on the way. Stay up to date at VeritasCatholic.com or on the mobile app. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello having an amazing conversation with Deacon Paul Karras and Trisha Dwarica and, uh, about the events of 9-11. We're talking about self-sacrificing love and a letter that Judith Toppin wrote, A Life Saved, A Life Changed, One Catholic Deacon Story. With that, I'm going to hand it over to Joe Resinello. Paul, on the other side of the break, you talked about the idea that, like, you never thought about being a deacon. And, and as you were saying that, what was going through my head is, you know, it's like our faith is like unpeeling an onion. There's so many levels. And, you know, John of the Cross, he was a pretty heavy guy, uh, St. John of the Cross. And he talks about canyons, the canyons of faith, how deep they are. We don't even know they exist within us. But it's for us to find those canyons, how God is there and how we have to allow him to work in our lives. You clearly did. Clearly, Judith did as well. The way, you know, Trisha's talking, her whole entire life seems to have been, you know, a walk with the Lord. Maybe we could just talk a little bit about that first, Deacon Paul, then maybe Jude, uh, Trisha. Like, talking about, like, unpeeling of that onion, how we all have to allow God to unpeel it, and under it all is something beautiful. Sure. Um there's an energy to the spirit. Um, the spiritual world is real. Uh, my pastor, Father Lou, is connected to it in a way I will never understand, but being exposed to him allowed me to open my eyes to see things a little bit more. Uh, I believe that the energy of the spirit is what drew me to Judith, her energy, her faith. And you know, somebody reading this might say, hey, gee, this guy, Paul, was a great guy. You know, he saved this woman, Judith. Well, the words that Judith put together describing what took place, I think that was helped save me. Um, it, it was truly mutual. Uh, basically, God took care of both of us that day in very different ways. Uh, Judith physically to get down, um, me spiritually in a way I had never understood. Um, as I said, when I did my Curcio weekend, um, <laughs> I won't say coincidentally, because I believe all coincidences are God instances, I had a, uh, a therapy appointment with uh, Father Jim the next day after my Curcio. And at the end of the session, he just looked at me and said, uh, you don't need to see me anymore. And I just threw up my hands and said, wait a minute, you've been giving me grief for nine months, and now you're telling me I don't need to see you? And he said, whatever took place on your Curcio weekend, for nine months, you and I have been battling in your head. What took place on that three days of Curcio, you moved it to your heart. And it doesn't have to make sense, but by moving it to your heart, you've been given a sense of hope and a sense of peace, even with 
still dealing with a lot of issues, you know, around what my life was like before 9-11. And he was right. Uh, so I think that that string of activities for me after 9-11 is what just uh, led me to this calling. And it's a calling. It's, it's not something I say, I, people say, well, how'd you decide? I didn't decide. Everything in my life after 9-11 was pushing me to, to hear this call of service. We're going to come back to that in a second because we want to talk a little bit about that. But Tricia, what are, you, what are your thoughts on the comments that Deacon Paul just made? Well, it's so funny how we people say we have callings, and I just think that's so amazing, by the way, Paul. But my story's a little different because Judith was such a selfless person, and she has been such a great influence in my life that actually, at the age of 16, I learned it. And from since I've been 16, she's always taught me, it's not what you say, it's how you say it, and don't sweat the small stuff. And when you have people, when you have a person that's been drilling that to you for years and years, I think that's why I don't get overly excited because people at my job, my job is so high stress because I work in the operating room. And every morning we come to work, you see your name, your assignment on the board. Okay, you're scrub nurse, you go to this room, you go to that. Everybody gets so upset. They're switching around cases. They're arguing with everybody. I take my, my, my patient's records I go straight to my room and they go you're okay with this this is unfair how do they do this to us we're overworked I says I work 7 to 5 30 and after that I go home to my family I'm here to work and to do what I was assigned to do and I go right I don't ruminate and I don't disgruntle I go straight to my room and I finish my work and I go home and just Friday the charge nurse was like you know Trisha you never complain I said, what is it to complain about? I just can't sweat the small stuff. And my mother told me that for years since I was 16. I just want to interject with that because that's the example of your mother. That's what saints are. We're like a saint is an example that guides us to Christ. And this is what the world needs. You see, we need to be animated by God in order to be examples. Because I always say this on our show, People believe what they see, not what what they necessarily hear. And this is where we change the world. You know, you know, we're going to get into this later on. But as we all know, the world is crazy right now. I mean, our country is crazy. Uh, I mean, there is so much conflict going on in America. Um, We got to get past that. Don't you think it's like I'm, I'm just tying that into what Trisha just said is that we don't seem to have any peace and what That's you what were and what you were describing church and again remember we talked earlier in the show at the front line with Joe and Joe and the Veritas Catholic Network we talked earlier about the idea of of living that christian life on an everyday basis it could be it could be in a hospital setting it could be on any one of our jobs everybody seems to be losing their their their, their losing minds their lives. and yet Every we day. We have to do the same job. We have the same d- obstacles. We have the same difficulties. But you know what? I like to think I wasn't always this way. I, I mean, you know, I had I had a moment like Paul where I said to God, God, I'm I'm really a mess, you know. Um, and we all have our our, our stories of conversion. Um, but I do have a piece that you described, and that's why it struck me that you said that, like even in the workplace. And people say, Why are you so calm? I say, why should I not be? You know, like like that, like that. I've been like that not for a, years. You know, but years. I think Joe made a good point. I want to tie into that. Our our country needs these examples, not just these really big examples like Deacon Paul and Judith, okay, but even just on an everyday basis. Be calm. Be goes if big, Paul and goes... Judith could be calm in a stairwell as the building would come down. That's what I was gonna thinking, say. Go ahead, go ahead, Trisha. It, it goes, it stems from the from their greatness. And it trickles down to the rest of us. And that's the beauty of it. Because I was able to live or have someone like that in my life for so long and almost live by that example. Because sometimes you don't realize you're living with a saint. You don't realize you're dealing with great people. And then when you start living it to yourself, then you're like, wow, that really does exist. That there really are people that... Absolutely. It absolutely can rub off. Yeah. Again, but only by example. Um, exactly. As a deacon, you know, I could speak it, talk it all I want, but if people don't see that calm in me, 
it's not going to go anywhere. Exactly. You, know what I'm, you know what? I'm just very quickly, I'm going to hand it over to Joe, but I am reminded of the, the way you're describing that, Deacon Paul and Tricia, is remember uh, one of the, the great, like Joe said, we have the examples of the saints. Think, think about those who could not speak for fear of losing their lives, the early Christians, and the calm and the peace that they had. I mean, knowing they were going to die, no, no chance of, let's say, survival once they were found to be Christians. We need a little bit more of that. I think, you know, nowadays, that, that peace that passes all understanding, which is certainly what they had, um, and, and, you know, nice healthy dose of that in American culture would be good. With that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand it over to Joe. I just want to piggyback on that. I think, like, you know, my house is far from calm. I have a lot of young children, and <laughs> I sometimes could lose my mind. Uh, there's no question about you it. You do okay, my friend. I try. You do okay. But I think it comes down to we need to animate ourselves with God, with the sacraments, with grace. I have learned in my own life as, you know, a Catholic man, my limitations. Um, and I know that I am very flawed and I need God. Um, and we have to basically, that's an act of humility. You come to the end of yourself and it's available to everyone. It's available to everyone to say, I'm sorry, to go to confession, to pray, to receive the Eucharist, and the grace will be there. People have done amazing things on this earth, like Paul, like your mother, like normal people who raise kids heroically, who work hard, who sacrifice. That's for everyone. And God can give that to us. And it's free. It's free. And but it, it comes down to our hubris as Americans. I can do it. I'm smart. I have this. I have that. Well, you know something that all runs short eventually. I'd be interested in both your thoughts on that. I mean, I've learned that in my own walk. I mean, I didn't experience what Paul did and what your mom did, but I've experienced me. And I know that I have my limits. And without God, I'm finished. Let's start with you, Trisha, on that. <clears throat> I think it's called a little bit of sense of humility. And a lot of us don't have that. A lot of us think that we're great and we'll just forever be great. And a lot of us don't even believe we need God in our lives. And that is a huge problem. And that's why a lot of us get sideways and lose our way because we don't have that humility. We don't have that humility in our faith. Yeah, we we're raised to go to church. Yeah, you're raised to read the Bible, but do we actually practice that on a day-to-day -day basis? How many people do you know sit down and meditate to just take in the presence of the Holy Spirit? They don't. I myself didn't. I just recently started and I started today. So sometimes we just have to stop. And like my mother saying, you have to smell the roses and really take it in and take in everything around you and become, and, and become a little, you know, you have to have a little bit of humility. You have to, we just don't. You know, that's, that, that's certainly a, that's certainly a quality that's, uh, that's missing in our culture, a little humility. Uh, Deacon Paul, how about you on that? Uh, I'll echo with a little different spin what Trish said. Um, there's two obstacles I see getting in the way of our world today. One is, as, as Trish mentioned, we don't, we don't feel like we have to depend on God. We are everything in our society, everything in the workplace, even the way you're evaluated in the workplace. What did you do? And that carries across to where if we think if we don't do it ourselves or we don't, you know, we should be able to do it. And when you're doing that, you're not thinking about where's God in this. And the other thing is, we've just become too busy. There's too much noise in the world. Uh, not just technology, just the pace of everything. Uh, if there's a silver lining to the pandemic, I think it's that people realize that they were on a treadmill that they weren't getting off of and they didn't even realize it. And, you know, so between the not thinking that God's there and you have to be dependent on yourself and the noise, um, if you can, we can get people to slow down and realize there's more to life than just making a living and, you know, earning money. It will help get people to where they should be. Uh, I, I, when the pandemic started, you know, I walk my dog every day and I retired a few years ago. So I get to walk him during the, during the day. 
there was never anybody around, one or two people walking dogs. After the first month, there must have been 30 people walking their dogs, you know, that they would probably never get to do. Mm-hmm. You know, people were given two to three hours of time back in their lives, not having to commute. It's called quality had, of life. They had time to spend with their families and take bicycle rides and walks. And, you know, same way after 9-11, New York and the world was a much friendlier place for about a year and a half. I think the pandemic has also given us that silver lining to look at things that way. And my hope is that we don't do what we did after 9-11 and go back to the way it was. Amen, Deacon Paul, because that's the thing. God, you know, God draws the the greatest good out of the the most horrible of circumstances because that's how God works. And we embrace our problem is, I think, like you said, we embrace it for a while and, and it's good. It really is good. Okay. After 9-11, I remember that. But then all of a sudden, in, in, in no time at all, it's all back to the politics and the bickering and the arguing and the hatred and the finger pointing and all that nonsense. And it's like, could you relish a moment? Could you sit back and see how people helped? Nobody asked, you know, what color you were when, the, when they were trying to take you out of the building. Nobody no. asked what, what, you know, like, you know, what your worldview is, what religion you are. You who'd need you help. vote for? Who'd you vote for? It was, right. oh, you need help. Well, I'm going to help you. Yeah. you know, talk about, I want to talk a little bit real quick, Deacon Paul, about uh, service. So obviously you mentioned earlier, as a deacon, you're, you know, deacon's not just a, a rank in the, in the church or an office in the church. It's, it's a vocation. And uh, I myself, I know Joe's been thinking about it. You know, we're praying on that. It's possible one of us or both of us in the future could become deacons. But there's service involved. Talk about how your experiences and what we're discussing today uh, affect what you do in terms of the service you give to those uh, in your parish? Well, even before directly with the parish, um, again, God puts people in certain places. There was a a woman in town who owned a religious shop and she had just sold it. And I saw her at uh, some events here and I I just said, so uh, what are you doing now with all your free time? And she looked at me and said, you really want to know? I said, yeah, come with me on Saturday. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and she took me over to Fairview, New Jersey, where there were these Franciscan nuns who were trying to create a community service center. And <laughs> two and a half years later, after building a two-story building, after renovating the basement of a church, we they were they were collecting food and clothes and giving them out to the Guatemalan community around Fairview. And these, these women had no money, and yet their faith was just something I fed off of. Sometimes I, I fought it um, because my ego got in the way. But, you know, things like that, it just a simple question to somebody led me to two and a half years of service, two nights a week, every weekend, you know, sheetrocking, doing things, even though I'm an engineer I'd never done before, trying to build a foundation, designing a two-story building, and then having contractors donate their time to build it. Uh, it was a remarkable two and a half years. So that's just one example of be, you know, somebody being inserted into your life to show you there are other things you can do. Um, my particular ministry here at Corpus Christi uh, led me to adult formation programs. And we ran programs, Discovering Christ. We've done several Bible studies. And typically, there would only be 15 or 20 people would show up at these things. But now the resources out there are so great with DVDs and other tools. We would end up having 60 to 100 people. And when people break into small Christian communities, they find out that we all share the same life experiences and you get to hear how somebody else relates that to their faith, and these people would be nourished. And I just became the facilitator for that. The Holy Spirit and God took it from there. The pandemic kind of shut that down, but those are two examples of uh, sort of following the lead of the Spirit and taking me to do things. And I, I, one of my catchphrases that I always rely on now is, when God takes you, when you take yourself out of your comfort zone, God's there waiting to lead you. Oh, there's no question. That's where we meet the Lord is when we get out of the boat. Very important. 
I want to talk about what you're saying about service. The happiest people on the earth are those who give of themselves. Trisha talked about her mom. She always, you know, never thought about herself. I think of my own mother. I she would always have cheap shoes. I always think of my mother, you know, growing up, they never bought anything for themselves, my parents. They sacrificed, sent me to schools I shouldn't have went to. My father was a barber. My mother was a secretary in Woodridge, a secretary, worked hard, never bought anything for themselves. But these are the happiest people. You see, the world, the whole, the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I leads to misery. But when we follow the example of God and we serve our fellow man, we're happy. That's where we find our joy. And that's what a deacon is. But that's for all of us who say that we're Christian. All of us, if we believe that Christ resurrected from the dead, we should act like it. Real quick, I want to ask, Tricia, uh, you mentioned earlier, so I'm assuming you're a nurse. Yes. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about, I want to stay on this theme because it's a very important one for Joe and I. It's one of the reasons why we do our show at the Frontline with Joe and Joe is the need for sacrifice. How does your Catholic faith impact your job? Not just in terms of staying calm, but you have to pretty much, I got to imagine, you see some pretty terrible things. You kind of like see maybe, you probably see like mini 9-11s just on a a normal day. Actually, I don't. I'm so sorry because I work. I work in ambulatory, so I do strictly surgeries, and those surgeries are elective. Mm-hmm. But during the pandemic, one of my, I'm basically urology, so at the time, one ears, nose, and ear, nose, and throat doctor, which is called ENT surgeries, she liked me a lot. So during the pandemic, she would request me a lot to do tracheostomies. That was horrible. So on that. And, you know, you really have to stay calm, keep the staff calm, keep your room calm and keep everybody in good spirits because that's people almost near dying from COVID and you just pop in a hole in the throat to keep the airway open. So mm-hmm. it was really, really devastating. And we did like 30 or 40 of those. It's a lot. Does your Catholic faith or did your Catholic faith inform you in your decision to become a nurse? Actually, I... I knew I had a calling, but I wasn't sure if it was the medical field because now I'm kind of drifting from conventional healthcare. I'm going more to the holistic end. So I think my faith is pulling me more towards that end because I'm going back for my diplomatic master's in alternative health to be a holistic practitioner. So I think part of the calling was to get me to the medical field and to let me see the differences in care Because now I'm at the verge where my faith is telling me that, hey, we can bridge the gap between holistic care and conventional care because we do need conventional doctors out there, but you also need a holistic way and how to stay healthy and to also get away from all these conventional medicines like antibiotics and all these other things that sometimes you just don't need. Like even now the healthcare system is driving us away from using antibiotics and every single thing that we do in the hospital. So that was just when I was, when I, when I, I think going to the medical field is a stepping stone for me to realize what I actually want to do. So like right now I make holistic beauty products. I make vitamins. I give a lot of people a lot of advice on how to take care of themselves. I'm the, I'm the old lady in the family where, you know, um, I have fungus on my toenail. What do I put on it? And I said, okay, you're going to put this, 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 and that, and I'll make a concoction. I'll mail it to you. So I I'm love on that it. End. I'm on that end right now. So you're listening to the the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello, amazing conversation with with Trisha Dwarica and Deacon Paul Karras. So we probably have about another six or seven minutes. I'm going to hand it over to Joe. I want to take it to the Good Samaritan. Um, You know, it's it's a story I think we all know in Scripture. It was the Samaritan, the outcast, who helped the person. The good people walked away. Obviously, the spirit, that spirit needs to come back into America. And we talked a little bit about that. Our country is divided. First, I'll go uh, to Paul. How do we regain that brother, that, you know, brotherly love, the spirit of Christ to go and reach out 
to the person. Because frankly, I'll be honest with you, I think we're going in a direction that is only going to end in disaster if things don't turn around. Um, how do we regain that spirit? You talked about like right after 9-11, New York was that, you know, uh, you know, brotherly love type of thing. How do we get back to it? Conversation. And the problem is we've gone to such extremes, nobody's listening to each other. Um, I'm not going to win anybody over in, about being Christian or being Catholic in an argument. As we talked about, examples, service. When people start seeing what you do and seeing the joy in your face, they might, they'll probably say, well, what is it that that person has that I don't have? And then the conversation. Um, I mean, I have issues, you know, an issue with my own daughter that I just drove 1,200 miles to have a face-to-face -face conversation. And I had to start off the conversation with, I apologize for how I come across. And that just opened up two days of, of discussion between the two of us where she realized I wasn't an extreme, you know, Catholic clergy. And I realized she wasn't an extreme in the other direction. Um, so until you can have a conversation and sit down and get yourself out of being pegged as something that you may not be, you'll find people will find there's a lot more common ground. Uh, again, how do we get that facilitate those conversations? I, uh, I try to do that with my adult formation, but it's much bigger than that. Yeah, Trisha, what are you, what are your thoughts on that? How can how can we best maybe come together? As, as Americans. So, I mean, we're all going to have differences and those differences are important. Nobody's denying that. Okay. And they're okay too. Right. But how do we even get to the point? How can we get to the point where there were America, at least we had conversations we had, if we didn't, if, even though we might've rejected the idea, we didn't reject the person. Okay. How do we, in your mind, do we get back to that? We probably have about two minutes left. Well, I'm going to go back to my West Indian culture. And we always say back home, it takes a village to raise a child. And with that being said, we can also compare it to just our lives in general. Everybody in New York City alone always sometimes just feel alone and they take care of themselves. So being that said, there's no real conversation, there's no real connections, and there's no real help. And sometimes we just have to come together and stay together to help each other out. A lot of times people will just not be transparent, not want to help. Oh, it's not my business. Or oh, I, don't, I don't, I don't, I need to get involved in that. Even with the whole bombings on the plane, if you see something, say something. People don't do that. People will see somebody getting robbed and they'll run the other direction. They won't even call 911 or they'll film it on their smartphone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I really think it takes a village to raise a child and it takes a village and it goes, it takes everyone to raise New York City, New Jersey, Long Island. It takes everyone should come together. Cultures, everyone should at one point of time just stop and be kind and be transparent and help someone. And I, I honestly believe that. Please, Deacon Paul. And it, it starts with inviting people. Exactly. If you're, if you're just going to do your own thing and just focus on what do I have to do, what's the list of things I got to get done, instead of saying, hey, you, you know, like people would always say, when I, was, when I was working in Newark, there was the chapel and two gateway and they have a 12 o'clock mass. People would know I would go there every day. So it starts, oh, would you pray for me or pray for so-and-so? And I would say, yeah. But then the more they asked me, I finally said, why don't you come with me and pray? And they were like, really? Oh. So that's, again, getting out of getting them out of their comfort zone to open up and be realize there's more to it and that not just depend on somebody else but accept an invitation uh that to me is what's worth one last thing is i do homebound communion to the sick and all i naively thought i was really doing this for the person who was sick i quickly learned that it was an invitation to minister to entire families and that again People are, you know, I'm somewhat of a stranger walking in, so I'm not a family member. They listen to me a little bit more, but it opens up conversation and disagreements within a family. You can just give them some insight. Uh, 
And it, it's, it's an amazing transformation watching the families. And even after the person passes, these people are still people I minister to. Well, and as Trisha said earlier, this has been an amazing conversation. Unfortunately, we have to leave it there because I listen, you're at the front line with Joe and Joe, man. We could go on for a couple hours if you really wanted to. Unfortunately, we have radio constraints. Okay. <laughs> Deacon Paul Karras, Trisha Dwarka, we really appreciate coming, appreciate you coming on. All right. We should all say a prayer for Judith Toppin. Okay. Next time we all sit down and pray our rosaries, we offer an up an intention for her soul. Okay. And Absolutely. God bless you, Paul, for your actions that Trisha was able to have her mom for a good many years. Many um, years. You thank know, you. And, thank you. Thank you. And we thank the Holy Spirit for that. We thank you guys for coming on the show. We want to thank you all out there for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, uh, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York metropolitan area, 1350 on your AM dial. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And please be sure to follow Joe and I on Facebook and YouTube at the front line with Joe and Joe. Like, subscribe, share. Do all that fun stuff. Help us out a little bit with a click. And remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation. And that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.